and welcome to Long Takes, a new Screen Crush podcast in which we discuss controversial topics and diversity in the world of film and television. I'm Britt Hayes, Associate Editor with Screen Crush, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I'm Aaron Whitney, Senior Editor at Screen Crush, coming to you from New York City. So in every episode so far, we've tackled new releases and timely hot takes. This week, though, we're shifting our focus to something in the outside world and how what we see on screen can help us through what's going on in American politics. So in just a few days, Donald Trump will officially become the president, which is really hard to say out loud, finally. Ugh, I don't like it. <laughs> but with that in mind, um, we're going to talk about the films and the TV shows that are going to help us through that time. Um, the things that give us inspiration, hope, strength, and just sort of help us, you know, build empathy with people we identify with on screen and maybe those we don't. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, I feel like we should add a question mark. It's like, in honor of the inauguration? <laughs> yeah, is this uh, <laughs> anti-inauguration, inauguration survival guide? Yeah, that's basically what it is. And I think it's a good idea, too, that, I mean, for obvious reasons, we're probably going to shut the comments down on our YouTube page for this episode. But I really think it might be a good idea to have our listeners send us their own ideas. Like what's helping you guys get through this time? Like are, if you're really stressed out about the election, which feels weird to say because it happened November 8th and this is January now. Um, but I feel like you're really stressed out right now. Um, what are the things that are kind of helping you get through? Like listen through to the end of the episode, our Twitter information's there. You can tweet at us and let us know. Um, and, you know, give us like those ideas will give us ideas like for more things that we can watch, because to be honest, like I'm running out of stuff. Like there's only so many times that you can watch the same things over and over. Yeah, definitely. And we have <laughs> four years to go. So the more recommendations, yeah. the better. Definitely. So do you want to start with one of your picks, like something you've seen recently? Yeah, um, I guess we're going to start off on a little bit of a heavy note. We have lighter things that will come later, positive, uplifting things, but when I was thinking about um, the idea for this podcast, I was just really thinking about a lot of documentaries that I've seen lately, um, ones that just feel so relevant right now that feel like films that we like need to be watching, need to be talking about. And uh, most of them are about history and things that have happened in American history and how relevant all of that really is today and how much things kind of haven't progressed and improved. So um, I just recently watched I Am Not Your Negro, which is Raoul Peck. I think that's how you say his name. It's a documentary about James Baldwin, but it's kind of kind of a non-traditional documentary in the sense that it's about the 30 pages of an unfinished manuscript that Baldwin wrote called Remember This House. And it's about Martin Luther King, Medgar Evers, and uh, Malcolm X. And um, it sort of recounts his friendship with all three of them and where he was and what he was experiencing when he found out that each of them were assassinated. And it's just this beautiful sort of collection of Baldwin's writings about race in the late 50s and the early 60s um, and the intersection of, of his experience with these three civil rights um, um, fighters at the time. And also, uh, it really is about what's happening in the modern day. Um, I think you've seen the film, right, Britt? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, within the first five minutes, um, it cuts from... Uh, Samuel Jackson is reading um, the 30-page uh, manuscript, which I didn't even know it was Samuel Jackson until maybe like a half hour into the movie. It doesn't sound like him. I wouldn't have known had I not read about the 
documentary before I watched it. And it really might be one of the best performances he's given in a really long time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't sound like Samuel Jackson because he's not bringing that like signature presence to his vocal performance, which is kind of great because you're not distracted by it. I mean, you know, when you hear like, um, you know, Morgan Freeman doing a voiceover, you know, it's Morgan Freeman, you know, it's God talking, but (laughs) Samuel Jackson doing this, like it really feels like he's, he's performing for Baldwin and like, and vocalizing his words that never really got to become this, um, this finalized product. And um, within the first couple of minutes, it cuts to footage in Ferguson and it's just immediately hits you on the head with how relevant all of his writings still are today. And um, just, I don't know, just some of the quotes, I was writing down quotes while I was watching it and just sort of had to pause the movie and really sit back and realize like how, how important this film feels right now, um, especially as, as we're approaching a Trump administration. Yeah. <laughs> um, there were, I mean, there's, there's such beautiful prose and it really makes me wish that like I could go to a screening of this with Samuel L. Jackson reading live while the film plays because mm. being able to see his face, like just his facial expressions, maybe um, that would be really incredible to pair with the film. I mean, there's, there's something so beautiful about it and so harrowing and so sad and inspirational too. I mean, it's just a perfect combination of those things, but there's just the, the writings are so eloquent and so poetic. It's just really like mesmerizing to watch. Yeah. I mean, there's so many traditional ways to approach such a figure like Baldwin, but the way that they use his writings and then they also, I think they also include some pieces about his film writing and there's lots of film clips and it just feels like a poetic creation of, of this man's vision that is also politically relevant, that is so emotional. And I don't know, there's, there's not really anything like it um, as far in the nonfiction realm recently that I could think of. I agree. And I think even for someone like me, like a self-styled liberal person, like I never, I, I'd never heard of James Baldwin before this. Oh, really? For like all that I have. Yeah. For all the things that I've read. And I think that's a real testament too to the things that you're taught. Um, because I think that, a lot of the things I learned in school sort of skimmed over very important figures. It was just a weird blind spot that I had. I just never, for whatever reason, heard of him. Or maybe I had, but I would not really paid much attention. Um, and this made me, I know this made me feel kind of guilty about that, but it also made me happy because it's like, you know, even now I can still discover things I did not know and learn about people that were important that I didn't know about. And there's no shame in that. Like, there's no shame in saying like, oh, I'd never heard of this person. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, now you have, so <laughs> now you know. Um, yeah, yeah so I think that's really important. Totally. I mean, I've only read pieces of his writings. I've only, I think, I've just read some of his writings on film. Um, I haven't read um, his novels, but I definitely like. I'm gonna go out and, and buy them now, and I just feel like so compelled. I don't know. The ending of this movie, the last five minutes, is is like an interview he did. I think in like the early 60s um, and it was like Mm -hmm. him and Malcolm X and Martin Luther King on this television show and that's the other great thing is that you're not just hearing his writings read over voiceover by Samuel Jackson is you're seeing a lot of his interviews and he was like such a a physical presence at the time and just to like look at him and his his eyes and like his his expressions and the last five minutes of this movie he has this like phenomenal quote that I just just floored me and is just like I just want to 
copy and paste it and send it everywhere and like have everyone, <laughs> I don't know, especially just like white Americans. Like I, I feel like I need to just like do my homework more and, and do more research and like be more aware of what's going on. And this movie just really like hit that note for me. So yeah, that's, that's, that's one that I'm like carrying with me through this, this Trump administration. I think that also, oh, and there's before this, we talk there's about... this video I wanted to mention real quick, this YouTube video. Um, while after I was watching that, I was just re- looking up some quotes, and there's this video by Kat Black. Um, she's a, a trans woman of color who um, is uh, an activist and, and YouTube vlogger, and she just put up this video. I, she reads this wonderful piece that's so powerful, and um, by the end of it, she reveals that it's actually... Uh, quotes from Martin Luther King and when you're hearing her read them it just feels so relevant to today like you're thinking this was written right now about America today and it's actually quotes from Martin Luther King from his Birmingham jail letter and his final book and it just sort of hits you like wow how how incredibly relevant it is so that's something else I would just recommend watching and keeping in mind as we go into this uh, era. Um, I think we could file I mean we could file I'm Not Your Negro and you know, a few other things under what I would call the the stay woke category. So <laughs> for movies and things to help you stay woke during the Trump administration, which <laughs> is a real thing that is actually happening to us. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> in the spirit of that, uh, I would also add, um, and I think this was on your list too, as, uh, as well, Aaron, um, 13th, Ava DuVernay's documentary. Totally. Yeah. My only complaint about the 13th or about the third, is it the 13th or 13th? It used to be the 13th and then Netflix took out the the. changed. Okay. I think it's just 13th. (laughs) Okay. I don't want to keep saying the. Okay. My only complaint about 13th is not even really a complaint. It's actually a compliment. Um, I think it's just a testament to how great it is, is that I just wish that it, it was expanded to like 13 episodes or something, or just like, you know, even like a six to eight part mini documentary series, something like made in America length, like the OJ documentary. Like I think that would have been really incredible because there's so many fascinating things and people that are covered in this documentary. I mean, it really is a comprehensive history of slavery and the way that slavery transitioned to our current prison system. Yeah. And as comprehensive as it is, it still feels like there's things that are being sort of glossed over. And I give her credit Because even when it is being glossed over, even when she can only spend like a couple of minutes on one topic, I still get so much information from that. Mm -hmm. But again, like I just I really wish it was longer. If if it were, I mean, I can't even imagine how much more she could pack into that. And like I Am Not Your Negro, 13th also towards the end um, does some really fascinating stuff by drawing, you know, these correlations through like things that they're discussing with like current – current affairs, you know, like shootings in Ferguson. I mean, shootings everywhere. I, yeah, I mean, I just like, it kind of just like does the same sort of parallels between then and now and showing how, how little has changed and how much we still need to do. And that I think becomes even more terrifying as January 20th approaches, um, feeling like we're not really taking any steps forward that we're just taking steps backward. Mm -hmm. And, when it comes to civil rights issues, we haven't come as far as we need to. And to think that we're undoing that work is really, really scary to me right now. Yeah. I mean, if only this was, instead of being a movie, like you said, if it was a series that could span out over like the next year. So that it was it was actually happening and coming out as 
as we're actually going through this because it actually the movie came out right before the election which mm-hmm. I remember I, I talked to Ava DuVernay like right before and I was like oh I everything's gonna be okay in like a couple of days like we're gonna be fine and you know it was just it feels like a different time like pre November election post like it's definitely it feels like a different mindset um but I guess it's good that at least it's on Netflix and it's streaming there so it's gonna be there and people can keep revisiting it and she even said in some of her interviews, like, this is really a truncated version of so many other books and documentaries out there. And um, I almost wanted to put together, like, a reading list for myself of, you know, all of the things that that this that she's taken from and the different people that she's interviewed in this movie. Because um, there's just so much to explore and there's just so much to learn. Because it really covers, like, 15 areas of American history that are all so relevant still. And it, I mean, it's impressive that she could pull that off in, like, a, what, two-hour documentary? Yeah, definitely. Um, it didn't even feel that long. Um, mm-hmm. There's some like infographics in there that are really like visually friendly and <laughs> yeah, like would yeah. make for great. Like if you took like screen caps of them, I mean, they would be like perfect in like articles and stuff. Um, yeah. There's also, you know, more stuff in there that I wasn't really that familiar with before. I mean, I was familiar that there was a feminist movement that came to the Black Panther Party um, to sort of upend the inequality within that party, which I think is really amazing. I mean, you have like this movement, the civil rights movement, and it itself has inequalities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like Angela Davis, like hearing her speak, you know, seeing the older footage of her when she was arrested and like seeing her speak now, I mean, she's so powerful. And even when she was a younger woman, like she was incredibly powerful, like she would open her mouth to say like a sentence and you're just like floored yeah, by how amazing she is. And I just thought, God, like I would watch an entire movie about her. Totally. Yeah. Can Netflix give Ava DuVernay like a, an entire <laughs> series to interview everyone and like do a in-depth biography on everyone in that movie? That would be fantastic. Yeah, for sure. 100%. So keeping, I guess, with, with the stay woke category, what else do you have to recommend? Um, I have two more documentaries that I've really loved that I watched recently. Um, the first is The Trans List, which was on HBO. Um, it debuted, like I think, in December. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people haven't really... I feel like it hasn't been talked about very much. It kind of just like went unnoticed a little bit. Um, but it's Timothy Greenfield Sanders, who also did The Blacklist, uh, The Latino List, The Outlist. He has that whole series of um, sit-down interviews with people of different minorities, sort of just telling their stories. And the trans list is Janet Mock interviewing, um, I think, 11 different people from um, activists like Miss Major to trans porn stars like Buck Angel to non-binary poets um, is uh, Alok from Dark Matter. So there's a whole handful of people that are just all across different identities of of trans identities and gender non-conforming identities. And it really just like gives them a stage to tell their stories. And we don't really hear that. Um, just in TV and film in general. Um, And yeah, it's just a really, really moving documentary that kind of also works as like a really easy, digestible trans 101 guide. So like Mm -hmm. if if someone doesn't really know a lot about trans people and what's going on in America and just the world today with trans rights and discrimination, like this is just such a good go-to to, you know, like sit down your parent and have them like watch this or like show a young kid or play it in a classroom. Um, But it also beyond being informative is just like very beautiful and moving. And I mean, Laverne Cox is in it and um, Caitlyn Jenner, although she has some, you know, not so great political views. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
she's there. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I mean, I think that's good. I mean, for as much as I often disagree with Caitlyn Jenner, I think it's good to have, I think it's good to have a broad spectrum of representation within those communities. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can't just have these, like, pristine role models of trans, lesbian, gay, queer people. Like, you're going to have flawed human beings in any group. Mm-hmm. And I think that's good. Like, I think you need that. Yeah. Um, You know, I just like, I don't want, that's one of the biggest problems I have, like always too, is just like this idea, even with politicians. And it's something I think about a lot is like how we hold them up to these impossible standards. It's like, oh, you got busted lying one time. You are completely untrustworthy. There's not enough perceiving of people as people. Completely. Yeah. And I think it just shows people that, there's just not one way, there's not one type of identity within all of these different communities. Like you can be a Republican trans person or you could be a a queer Trump supporter, I guess. Exists. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know how. That's, that's for another time. I just love how every time we say Trump's name, it's just like, <sighs> We should just have like a buzzer or, I don't know, some sort of sound. Take a shot or something every time we say Trump's name. I don't know. I can't. Take a nap. <laughs> go, oh, go treat <laughs> I, I said his name again I, I'll be back in 20 minutes <laughs> I'm tired <laughs> that's actually a nice uh, excuse I like that it's well, good to laugh you know we need to we need to laugh right now <laughs> definitely definitely oh then there was one other documentary growing up coy which just debuted on Netflix and that's really awesome it's about coy Mathis um, a six-year-old transgender girl who really started the um, trans bathroom rights movement in, I think it was 2013, um, she um, was trying to gain access to the girls' bathroom in her Colorado elementary school, and her parents brought the case to uh, against the state, and they ended up winning in her favor. And, I mean, we talk a lot about trans bathroom rights today, obviously, because there are so many states um, proposing legislation against trans people using the bathroom of um, that they're comfortable in. And um, it's amazing to sort of see this documentary and look back at how far um, it's come and just how how much um, a, like a family has really supported their child, especially a, a six-year-old girl. So that's that was a really beautiful movie I saw that I would recommend. I Yeah, I keep forgetting like that and the trans list are two things that I keep forgetting about. Um whenever I'm going to like watch things or looking for a new documentary to watch. So it's good to be reminded. Um, I feel like I've seen growing up Koi has been recommended to me on Netflix a lot. Like that's been kind of on my front page a lot. So, but I think the thing is, is like, I keep thinking like, Oh, I know what that is, but because I'm not really paying attention, I'm just like, anyway. And so in my (laughs) mind, it registers as like, is that, isn't that like a documentary about a YouTube person? And then I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not what that is. Yeah, I need to like <laughs> sit my, sit down and like force myself to like watch this documentary right now, and then I then I get it done. But it it I'll usually just watch like old episodes of Seinfeld. But yeah, it's also good to watch important documentaries time to time. <laughs> it is. I mean, sometimes you just have to be in a mood. Like you have yes. to be in the right mood to sit down and like okay, educate me. Right. Um, but it is important, and, and I think self educating is really important. And I think it's something that we maybe. Uh, don't give enough credit to. Um, and then we just kind of expect everyone around us, you know, our LGBTQ friends and everyone to sit down and like instruct us on, you know, their lives and their world. And that's like, that's our world too. I mean, it's 
all of our worlds. So it's, it's, you know, it's my job to be informed. It's my job to read articles. It's my job to watch documentaries and not wait for Aaron to tell me to watch documentaries. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll still tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, totally. It's like, I feel like we're all, you know, leading up to January 20th, there's this fear. And of course, it's, it's valid. But then there's also this concern that, you know, after his name, who shall not be said, <laughs> Voldemort, <laughs> um, you know, gets into office. It's there's this worry that everyone will just sort of, you know, forget and forget to actually like keep educating ourselves and like keep protesting and keep calling our senators and, and congressmen and and keep actually staying active and and fighting for rights for all minorities and, and, and everything that we need to be actively thinking about right now. So, yeah, this is this podcast isn't just relevant right now, but it'll be relevant Hopefully it won't be relevant in years to come, you know, but it's good that it, it's it's good to like stay educated and, and keep staying aware of things. I'm looking forward to listening to this four years from now. God, I really hope that it's just four years, but uh, and, and listening to how terrified we sound and thinking like, you know what? We got through it. We're fine. Um, or, you know, I won't. Maybe it'll just be my ghost after I've been nuked. Who knows? Who knows? In the time being, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what other what are other um, movies that you have on your list or TV shows? Um, just for movies, real. I guess like on the I guess on the more serious side of things. Well, not necessarily serious. This is a good maybe transition. So to transition from staying woke to more entertainment type things, um, I would say Where to Invade Next is a good documentary. And it's a really different side of Michael Moore. He's usually so, I don't know like what a good word is for it. He's very pushy. Yeah, aggressive. Yeah, aggressive, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he can be very aggressive. And like that's, at times I respect it because that's what gets through to people sometimes. And that's what gets the job done. At other times I'm just like, dude, I need you to have some chill. Um <laughs> But he's like, he's much more friendly here. And I think it's because he spends most of the documentary not in America um, and visiting other countries where they have better health care and education systems, where they have um, better quality of life, where their workers pay is better than ours, where they treat their citizens with respect and dignity. I don't know. They just like in countries like Finland and France and Italy and I mean, like, you know, Holland and all over Scandinavia. I mean, places where there are female presidents, where they've never had the same issues that they did when they were ruled by men. Like, it's really fascinating to see how other countries do things. And like, would those things work for us, especially not overnight? Like, no way. But there is a lot that I think that we can learn from looking at other cultures and how their governments are organized and the way that they take care of each other. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from where to invade next Aside from giving you a guide to all the places where you can try to move over the next <laughs> four years, um, it's just that, you know, we need to take care of each other. Like, we're all human beings. We're all in this together. And you need to take care of your fellow human beings. Just be empathetic. And that is going to be on Amazon Prime on the 22nd of this month. Oh, wow. That's perfect timing. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, by the way, though, if you are looking into moving out of the country, it is really hard to immigrate. There's, you know, there's reasons for that. But um, Berlin, apparently, you can live there for a few years without a visa. Ooh. So if you need a break, 
you know, if you just want to come back in a few years, that's a when good this recommendation. Is all over, you just go to Berlin. <laughs> and apparently it's so cheap to live there and they have great music. So enjoy. And beer. Yeah, and beer. I hear the art <laughs> scene is good. Yeah, yeah, they have a lot of good things. I was just talking to a friend from New Zealand, which is another place I would love to move if I needed to do that. Because um, they don't have guns there. Like really? the only people that have guns there are like farmers. Mm, noted. Yeah, they had one mass shooting in New Zealand and that was it. They outlawed guns. Oh, wow. Okay, we don't need to have that again. Okay, well, we should uh, listen to New Zealand. <laughs> the only problem with New Zealand is that apparently it's so cl- it's so close to the hole in the ozone layer that like when you just like go for a walk down the street and it's like, you know, nice outside, like you can get sunburned pretty quickly. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, if you go to New Zealand, make sure to bring sunscreen and... Um, I don't know, wear a hat. Yeah. <laughs> so happy things. Let's talk about happy things. Okay, happy things. Um, lately, my go-to show that I turn on when I'm just like sick of life and don't want to think and just need to unwind is um, Love Sick on Netflix, which um, was formerly known as Scrotal Recall. Right. A terrible title. Um but I'm kind of sad they changed it because at least it had character. And now when I tell people to watch Lovesick, they're like, oh, isn't that that like Judd Apatow show? I'm like, no, that's the other love. But like Lovesick sounds lame and it doesn't really convey what the story's about. But if you haven't heard of it, it's about um, it's a British show and it's about a guy who finds out that he has chlamydia and he has to go through. Um, the list of all the women he's slept with and let them know that he has chlamydia. And through that, we like go back in time and we see each story for how he met them and how they hooked up. But it's also, there's like an ongoing love story between him and his best friend as it's happening. And it's just so charming and funny. And they're like short 30 minute episodes. And I just put that on when I'm folding my laundry and it's, it's great. That sounds wonderful. I keep, when you, when I saw Lovesick on our notes, and Melissa was like, what is that? It seems so generic. How have I not heard of it? Exactly. And then you reminded me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, because Scrotal Recall was a really memorable title, yeah. as bad as it was. <laughs> Lovesick is like, well, that's kind of generic. It's but I do, that is on my to-watch list, I think. Yeah, they're easy. It's like, I think there's six-episode seasons. And Ugh. if you've Bless ever watched, the British. Um, I know, right? If you've ever watched um, The Misfits or Misfits, um, it was like a Channel 4 show about like superheroes. It was so great. But the girl that's in that is in this. And yeah, it's good. Awesome. I recommend it. Yeah, I really do like British shows. I'm often attracted to them because they are so short. Like they really know the value of a season. Like it's like, okay, yes. we're going to have like six episode seasons, sometimes three, four episodes. Um, yeah, Black Mirror. Yeah, and, like, you get, like, I think the quality is so much better because they're working in these, like, smaller time frames. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes the wait more painful for a new season because their production times tend to be a bit longer. But, you know, that's why I think that's why I recently started to watch Catastrophe. And, like, I went through the whole, like, two seasons that are on Amazon, like, over the course of, like, maybe three, four days. Because, like, the seasons are short. And also Carrie Fisher is in it. So... <laughs> Um, that's like, you know, that might be a happy thing right now. I mean, she has a relatively small role. Um, the series is created by Sharon Horgan, who also created the new HBO show Divorce. Uh, Catastrophe, I think, is much better. Um, 
Rob Delaney, the comedian and writer, also uh, created the show with her. And they both star in it. Um, and it's basically like an American guy, Rob, goes over like across the pond and meets an Irish woman. And they hook up like a one week stand. And she ends up getting pregnant. So he goes back to see her and they decide to like, to hell with it. Like, let's just have like have this baby and like see what happens. And it's really sweet. I mean, they argue a lot. There's like some really realistic relationship stuff, but it's just, it's really, really funny and really clever. And you can't really complain about seeing Carrie Fisher who plays Rob's mom. And she's like this awful mother, but so good at being an awful mother. So that's kind of maybe bitter, a bittersweet watch right Mm. now. Maybe. Is that technically her final role? It might be because she did recently finish filming the third season. Ah. Yeah. So that might be the last thing that she's in or the last new thing that she's in, unless they make a CGI version of her for a new star Wars. And then I will be very angry. I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Carrie Fisher things, I just watched postcards from the edge for the first time and it's just so good. So I'm just going to add that to this list. Yeah. Just like pile it on. Why not? (laughs) Oh, that reminds me. I still haven't watched the the documentary on HBO. Oh, Bright I haven't either. I, it's supposed to be great. Yeah. So there's something else. Um, you were talking about like your go-to thing, like my go-to thing lately, like as far as like TV comfort food goes for years, I, like, I mean like years plural, like at least like four, maybe five years now, every night when I would fall asleep, I would fall asleep to 30 Rock. I have pretty much every episode of every season memorized at this point. It's just really like my... I don't know, like my nightlight or something. (laughs) Um, But after the election, that changed. um, And now I've been rewatching Parks and Rec. And so I pretty much kind of rewatched it twice. Oh, wow. Kind of here and there. And like now it's just like when I go to bed, like I just turn it on and I fall asleep watching an episode. Do you rewatch it in order or do you just kind of hop around? It's just like an order. Like I just put it on Netflix and mm. it'll just like play until it stops playing. Cause it's like, are you still there? Oh, and I'm like, yeah. obviously not. Cause I'm sleeping. <laughs> um, well, that sounds but like there such was, a nice way to fall asleep. Yeah. But there was like a whole weekend where I just kind of like sat down and like rewatched basically like the last like four seasons or five seasons. And it just constantly had it on. And it is like, it's a little bit of a bummer to see like Leslie Nope and how like, you know, determined she is and she loves Hillary Clinton and she loves Joe Biden. And like, she's, I mean, like this was like a, this was an America. I think that thought that Trump would like never win. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, there's that sound again. There's like, so there's something sort of depressing about watching it, but beyond that, it's very inspiring. It's like, there are still good people in politics who are doing their best and that may be like on a really, really, really local level, but that's kind of where everything starts. I mean, everything has to start somewhere. So I don't know. It's a little, it's a little comforting. And plus it's just so funny. It's so good. I need to revisit that show. You just feel so good watching it. What else? Um, feel good? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I put like last man on earth. Cause that's, there's a season that's on right now. Mm. The Americans comes back soon. So that's like a sort of dark, jokey pick. <laughs> <laughs> I think like a new season of Veep starts soon. Hmm. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, it's it's depressing as hell, but like I love The Leftovers. And sometimes when I'm yeah. depressed, I just want to like watch something extra depressing. 
It's just <laughs> somehow comforting to just be depressed in this like fictional reality or something. I don't know. But there's one more season coming and I am very excited. And I hope that this is the year that people get on board and recognize that The Leftovers is the best show on television. And if you're not watching it, you're just not watching good television. <laughs> I will agree that it is one of the best shows on television. I don't, I, I'm hard pressed to pick like an absolute favorite, but yeah, I, it's a real bummer that people haven't been watching it. And I think like Westworld kind of shows us why it's like people want big cliffhangers and mysteries and answers and the leftovers is like really not even having any of that crap. Like it is yeah. not interested in giving you answers. Like it'll give you small answers to things like, you know, basic plot stuff that's like unfolding, but like the bigger mystery of the show, which is like, you know, all these people were, you know, disappeared from earth left behind style and nobody really knows why or where they went or what the hell happened. And um, yeah. And the show's just like not, like, it just does not care to tell you, like, what happens. Like, it's like it just yeah. happened. It's just, like, anti-mystery box, which is yeah so unexpected. But, um, but yeah, it's so great. And I guess when I said it's depressing, like, the first season, definitely very depressing, very heavy, deals with very intense topics. But I do think in the second season, it finds a way to flip that and find, like, a lot of optimism and hope in those really dark aspects, which I guess could be a really good thing for our times right now is how to find like hope and strength in really like depressing difficult times um so it'll be really interesting to see what the third season does and how it balances those and if it goes back in a darker direction or if it goes forward with it um but another thing i thought about maybe this could be another transition is um we sort of talked about this is how moving forward films and tv shows are possibly going to change now that we're entering a different political era and if shows are going to sort of possibly reflect the times more accurately and, and actually deal with politics and engage with things in, an, in a more accurate way. Um, I don't really know. I mean, what do you think? It's a really tough call. Like I just, I mean, obviously I think like, I think that we're going to see a lot more music that's going to address these things directly than we are television and film as far as fictional narratives go. I think that as far as TV and film, it's going to be a lot of indirect thematic stuff. And I don't know that we're going to see it right away. I, when I interviewed Paul Verhoeven not long ago to talk about Elle, um, I asked him what he thought of how Trump would affect the arts. And he thinks that there are a lot of really great things that could come from this awful time, but he doesn't think that filmmakers or you know creators should run out and start doing that stuff now like it's basically like a wait and see like you need to wait and take time and make something really thoughtful and the people I think that are going to be really thoughtful about it and they're like you know not going to release something like in the first six months they're going to wait like a couple years or like four years even mm -hmm. like that's the stuff that's going to be really great that's the stuff that's going to be really enduring and it's going to give us this amazing artistic time capsule I think maybe there's an inclination to kind of rush out and do it. But I mean, at the same time, like I'm not seeing a lot of filmmakers that I follow on social media or, or TV show runners talking about like, you know, Oh, I'm going to run out and, you know, dismantle Trump with my art right now. I think mm -hmm. that they're just kind of aware that you can't just immediately tackle something this big. Yeah. Especially with film, because I mean, just the response time obviously is longer than, you know, putting out a song or even a, a TV show episode. So 
That's a good point. Those, I I agree with what um, what Paul Verhoeven said is that they should just wait and actually because we don't really know what's going to happen as as big as our fears are. Like mm-hmm. it's very unknown. So I mean, maybe in four years, eight years, who knows what we'll actually have responses to this. Um, I mean, there was just a, a documentary added to Sundance. It's like one of the last additions to the lineup. Um, that's about Trump, which is like on one hand, it's like oh, that's great that someone's doing that, but like, what can it possibly be about if it's not just about the last year and a half, which it could still be interesting, but it almost feels like, uh, is that, is it too soon? Like, how do you, what, what is included in there? Like that, that was a question I actually had for Ava DuVernay about 13th was, you know, how did you know when to stop? Because this, that movie came out right before the election. And it's like, how do you know what to include, what to not include? Like, what's the narrative if it's about something that's an ongoing narrative? How do you know when to actually end the conversation if there is an ending to it? Right. Yeah. I mean, especially with Trump, where it's like we're learning like 10 things, like 10 awful things are happening every day, (laughs) like 10 really awful things. And like, even if you're someone who's conservative and you don't think that some of these things are necessarily awful, it's still like a lot of big things. Mm -hmm. Like these are big, controversial things. And I think we can all agree that they are controversial at the very least. So how do you respond to that? I mean, if you like took even five of those things from the last like month and went off to like make a movie or a TV show about it. By the time you release that, like you were saying, um, like a year from now or a year and a half from now, like is it go- is it going to be as relevant, or are you just going? It's just like looking like you're like sifting and like nitpicking at little things that, in the scheme of the larger whole, aren't actually that big. I mean, like who knows what's going to happen? Like the next year, he could do something way bigger than anything that he's done so far that'll make all of this other crap look like nothing. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. If anything, I don't know I feel where like, you go from here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if anything, I feel like there's the most room with TV because that's the quickest turnaround and then you can respond to things quicker. Um, I noticed there's one quote that I saw um, that Vulture reported on um, last month was um, the president of ABC Channing Dungy, ABC president, um, ABC entertainment president, um, was sort of talking about, you know, programming in the age of Trump and how things are going to change. She's a woman of color and she was talking about how ABC's content handles um, racial and cultural diversity. Yeah, she says, with our dramas, we have a lot of shows that feature very well-to-do, very well-educated people who are driving nice cars in extremely nice places. And she kind of mentioned that there's there's still room to do that, but she suggested that they might switch their content to focus on more everyday Americans and um, you know working class Americans, which could be a nice like subtle change instead of just you know a, a direct response to the Trump administration and what's happening in politics is TV, which it should be happening anyway. It's just reflecting Americans <laughs> as they are, um, but maybe what's happening in politics is going to like actually spur that into action and, and make people actually change and, and start to really represent people um, more accurately. Yeah, maybe I, it's just, it's hard to say. I I think like the best, you know, as someone who's not a director or showrunner or whatever, I mean, like, I honestly think that the best thing that people can do is just like, keep doing what you're doing, keep striving to make diverse, inclusive content that speaks to the issues that we're facing, whether that's directly or indirectly. Um, Just keep people aware and keep doing your best to be inclusive. Like, 
have good representation. I'm like something that we we discussed before the show was the OA, which is the Britt Marling and Zal Bat- Batman Gleige Netflix series, which is really divisive. I really like it. It's um again, it's not one of those shows that's like really interested in like having a bunch of cliffhangers and like big mysteries that it'll solve and then like give you answers that validate your like guesswork. I mean, it's just a really good sci-fi drama that gets a little it's a little wacky, but I think in a really cool way. But something that there's a there's a character on the show named Buck. And Buck is a transgender Asian boy. And it was really important. Like when I was watching this, like the the kid who plays Buck is so good that I really just thought like, oh, where have I seen him before? Mm. He's really good. Is he actually transgender? Because like he's really good. And when I looked it up, I was reading an interview over on Vulture again with Britt Marling um, where she was saying how important it was for her to find a transgender Asian kid to play Buck. Like that was something that was non-negotiable, had to be transgender Asian kid. It was written for a transgender Asian kid, had to be transgender Asian kid. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So they gave it to the casting director. The casting director put out an open call and got several responses not just like one or two from people who had never acted before who like fit the bill but like several responses enough to like have auditions for this part which I think goes to show that like if you really try that you can find that very specific person for everything and that's the kind of like very subtle thing where it's like they don't make a big deal out of that they like like Buck is just Buck. Like Buck is this character. There are like, of course, like moments where like Buck's dad calls for him by his like given female name. And he's like, finally, like when Buck's not responding, he like uses the name Buck. Like, oh, I've got to call this kid by his actual name now. Mm. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, it's just little things. And it's I think that's that's the kind of thing that resonates with me. And I think will also resonate with other people is that you have to sort of normalize that inclusivity. Um, when you start depicting marginalized groups as not marginalized and part of the larger population, then, you know, I mean, that's, that's normalizing. Like you're just showing like everyone is a human being. So to me, I think that that those are the things that I think are really important for the next four years. Uh, that, and I guess maybe building our bunkers. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, I feel like everything we've talked about in our previous episodes is it's all the same conversation we're having right now is like why this stuff actually matters and why, you know, we're not talking about it just so that we can, you know, be PC and be social justice warriors, as I'm sure the comments would explode with um, and have <laughs> in the past. But like this stuff actually really does matter and is only mattering more and more now that we're going into an era when marginalized people and marginalized Americans aren't being recognized and protected and um, acknowledged by who is in office and the people that are behind that person in office. Um, So there are ways that TV shows and films can actually not only tell stories about those people and give representation, but like show them in actual roles where a trans person doesn't have to just play a trans person or, you know, um, a person of color doesn't just have to be in a movie that's educating about racism. It could, that just these roles should be, you know, for everyone. Um, and hopefully we can like reach that eventually. But for now, right. there there are some signs of, of positive, you know, improvements. It's just got to keep pushing for it. Definitely. On that note, I think that's about it. I do want to add 
uh, again, like if you, if any of our listeners have recommendations for things that are helping you get through this time or things that you think maybe we should watch, um, or you just want to share the stuff that you like right now, be sure to tweet at us and let us know. And, um, yeah, give us more stuff to watch. Totally. Yeah. Um, Aaron, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Cinemabite, B-I-T-E. And you can find me at Miss Britt Hayes. Thanks for listening. For more of the latest movie and TV news, head to ScreenCrush.com. Follow us on Twitter at ScreenCrushNews, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram and Snapchat at the username ScreenCrush. Crush.